Uh, welcome to the Agency X podcast. Today we are joined by EM from Return Logic. Um, she is currently building the partnerships program at Return Logic. Um, she's no stranger to e-commerce, having spent the last five years in consulting, agency, and other SaaS roles. Uh, when not building partnerships, EM can be found cooking, skiing, and producing music. This episode is sponsored by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the number one e-commerce help desk that lets you manage and respond to messages from your site, social, email, and SMS all in one platform. They have built-in automations to handle common queries like order tracking and save your team time and money. Get a free month by clicking the link in the description and elevate your customer experience today. You're listening to the Agency X Podcast. I'm your host, John Sertikowski, founder and CEO at Avix, a New York City-based e-commerce agency for high-growth D2C brands. As always, I'm joined by our e-commerce strategist, David Anzalone. Our goal is to provide some insight into e-commerce, technology, design, and everything in between. Let us know what you think of today's episode and make sure to visit our website, avexdesigns.com. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm hoping it'll be, you know, a a long walk on the beach for me since it kind (laughs) of sounds like you're parading me as an eligible bachelorette. Just kidding. Um, Yeah. And I won't hold skiing against you. I'm a big snowboarder and there's always that beef between snowboarders and skiers, but uh, it's all good. As long as I don't have to ride the lift with y'all, I'm cool with it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's always a uh, that's always a nightmare. They sh- I feel like they yeah. should have like a snowboarding and skiing lane or something yeah. because it's always it's like it's two different things and like someone's facing this way, someone's facing that way, and it's always it's always a mess getting off the lift. Yeah, you don't coordinate until like right before you get off, and then you crash. So it's, it's yeah, always- it's always just like a last minute rush to who's not gonna fall. Uh, yeah. But I actually went to Utah um, a few weeks ago for snowboarding and we got like no snow, so it was awful. But I didn't fall once getting off the lift, so I'm like super proud of myself. Amazing. Because you never want to be that person. Because no. then you are you have the person behind you that's like awkwardly sitting there waiting and it's like, do I give you sympathy? Do I make fun yeah. of you? Or something? And, and then they got to stop the lift sometimes and you feel like a real idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, awesome. So yeah. Oh yeah. E-commerce. That's what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I guess I'll start off with a little bit about, you know, what is return logic for, for any of our listeners who don't know, uh, and, and what do you do there? Uh, just so that we could kind of set this up and, and know what we're talking about when it comes to returns. Of course. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and start with something kind of shocking, which is going to be don't let the return in our name fool you because we're the sort of the point of entry. But at our core, we're an operations company. We're in the business of helping merchants scale. It's sort of excel at and as far as my role there i'm you know building the partner program i started here almost a year ago and um what that means is you know a little bit of co-marketing a little bit of business development and a lot a lot of zoom calls which Mm. anyone who's in partnerships right now can definitely (laughs) relate to the the zoom fatigue but um yeah so we're a team of if I'm going to be honest, e-com nerds, um, we're aware that no two merchants are alike. We've been in e-com for a while. Um, and where we kind of set ourselves apart is that we have an open API, um, you know, to just accommodate an infinite number of solutions rather than, you know, forcing merchants to be constrained into predetermined workflows, one-off integrations, things like that. 
Very cool. Very cool. And partnerships is something that I feel like has just like, you know, it's, it's been a thing since, you know, there's been SaaS companies, but I feel like every year it's like more and more partnership programs are getting bigger. Like we, we've even been exploring hiring like someone to manage partnerships as like their only responsibility rather than like some sort of like marketing and shared or sales responsibility. So it's, it's great that, that you're, um, you're building that, that, that program out. And I, I feel like when it comes to returns, for a lot of merchants, it's almost like almost like an afterthought. Like, hey, we'll we'll just have our return policy on our site and hope for the best in some cases. And then there's other companies who really focus on returns being a high priority. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the difference between uh, creating a positive customer experience versus a positive merchant experience. Yeah, I really love talking about this because like I said, we're very much like an operations company and I feel like you can kind of, you know, uh, merchant experience is just a, a zhuzhed up way of saying operations because no one wants mm. to talk about operations. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the merchant experience, the customer experience, they're really two sides of the same coin if you think about it. Um the returns portal, like, yes, it's super helpful and it's great to reduce friction on the customer side. But if that doesn't carry through to the merchant side, the experience is not going to be great. Easing friction for the shopper, but not the merchant doesn't really do anything to help the merchant scale. It just, you know, mm -hmm. it makes it easier for the customer to return or exchange things. Because um, if you if you think about it, there's, you know, you you submit your return on a portal and you know what what happens after that there's there's transit there's dispositioning mm. there's customer support there's inventory management there's accounting and returns impacts all of these parts of a business that are honestly difficult enough to keep up with without the issue of returns so um that's why i think that an approach to you know building custom workflows meaning like completely custom, not like out of the box or predetermined, it can increase visibility for teams, you know, on the merchant side, allowing them to provide the customer with, you know, the best experience with the fewest resources. I actually was thinking about this today. Um, I had a package that I ordered before Christmas just show up today. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, you know, one of those things, there was zero transparency about it. It was just one of those things. I was like, all right, I guess it's, I guess it's gone. And it showed up and it was like, okay, I'm happy that it showed up, but I don't think I'm going to order from this place again, because like, what was it? Three months that it just disappeared into the ether and mm -hmm. it's not a great experience. Um, and then on the other hand, I bought um, this water drop bottle a little while ago. This is not like a paid sponsorship and they're not even <laughs> one of our customers, but um, they had automated transactional emails throughout the whole experience. And it's like, I don't really care where it is. It's like a water bottle, but they made sure that I knew. And then they followed up a few weeks later asking for feedback. And it was just such a good experience. And I'll definitely be purchasing from them again. So now that there's so many apps, you can have things like robust segmentation, you can have things like automation, and it makes it easy it just requires, you know, strong strategy and, you know, connectivity between your platforms and your apps. 
Awesome. No, that's great. And, and that, that, that you mentioned like integration and making those apps work together. I think that's super important because, you know, the, the SaaS products that I see doing a really great job are the ones that are extremely focused, right? Um, you know, obviously return logic is focused on returns and around customer experience, but I'm sure it integrates well with some other apps out there that you could kind of improve that customer experience across the board. What, um, what are some of the like big integrations that you have um, that customers can use that are like, popular on Shopify? Yeah, so obviously we have some 3PL integrations. Um, we also, because of like our open API, can build pretty much anything. Um, we're branching out more into, you know, the other other spaces. So of course, things like Zendesk, Gorgeous, Gladly mm -hmm. is really huge for returns because it's really important to, I guess, keeping that transparency and keeping all of this data, you know, centralized in one place. Um, and then, of course, we have some of our merchants who are just building custom connections with things like Clavio. I actually talked to a merchant today who um, has an issue with, you know, troubleshooting versus warranty claims. So um, if someone, say, submits a request for a warranty claim in the return logic portal, depending on their return reason, it gets triggered into Clavio and they get, you know, a list of questions and troubleshooting to reduce their return rate in that way and mm. have it be, you know, with minimal resources for the um, customer success team, customer support team. So I would say it's not really a matter of, you know, what integrations we have out of the box. It's more so of like, can a merchant think it? Let's make it happen. Well, that's pretty cool. And that's a, a good mentality to have is to kind of like, well, some of these unknown things are going to come up. Um, and I, I think it's important to also mention that the software is great, but it's, it, it, you know, it, the merchants that are using it have to have good policies in place and have customer experience be a high priority across the board. Um, because look, any piece of software is only as good as who's using it and what they're executing with it and what their policies are like and what they're prioritizing. Um, and I'm curious about how merchants can begin to shift their views of returns as more of a vital touch point uh, along the customer journey rather than just a metric that they want to reduce or they want to lower. Yeah, so I think that for, you know, at least like in the current state of e-commerce, which is, I'm just going to say Shopify. So since Shopify <laughs> came out, it was almost like returns was, like you said earlier, an afterthought or even like a, a, an entirely siloed process in itself. And then there's been a shift. Um, and, you know, as an industry, we're focusing on, you know, returns maybe aren't so bad. It can be an opportunity to save the sale. We can prioritize exchanges. But I feel like there's more that can be done there. I feel like we can figure out, you know, use returns to see what went wrong in what part of the purchase journey and, you know, how can we fix that moving forward? Um Based on, you know, the data that you can get from returns, if you, you know, have your returns set up to be, you know, giving you the data that you need, um, you could 
see like, was it maybe a bad ad audience that we had? Was it a defect in the product itself? Did pricing not max expectations? Was it something like fit or color? Did we maybe accidentally or inadvertently send a discount code to someone who's like a serial returner and lose <laughs> money that way? Because it really happens. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, do you remember a few years ago? I think this was mostly for influencers who... um like buy things from Nordstrom and then just return them after they wear them. But Nordstrom sent out an email to people who had over a certain amount of returns. And they were like, if you don't stop returning things, you're going to be banned from Nordstrom. And it's just that's like, crazy. Yeah, it was very wow. funny. Um, but, you know, when when it's done right, the buyer journey it's more of, I like to think of it as a circle of life instead of a straight line, because, you know, the goal isn't, you know, get the credit card information and make that first sale. It's getting that repeat purchase, getting that, mm -hmm. you know, brand evangelist almost. And, um, you know, not only can returns create an opportunity for a bespoke shopping experience. So, you know, that, gorgeous or Zendesk integration allowing for, you know, things like upsells and personalization, even in the return, but, um, using friction on the shopper side and the merchant side, um, include increased, I guess, a likelihood, um, for the next purchase. So it's almost like, okay, how do we take returns out of its own space and realize that it can impact so many different points of the customer journey and mm -hmm. points of the customer journey can also impact return rate. No, that's great. And, and, you know, again, that that's something that the merchants need to be able to focus on and make sure that there's software that are provided uh, outside of just, you know, putting some communications on their site and then, you know, making it, making it a, a difficult process for the customer. Like for me personally, I want, like, I hate returning things. There's so much stuff that I bought <laughs> where I've just, you know, you know, I'll just keep it rather than fill out the paper and send it back. I, I think the biggest thing for me is just like packaging it up and bringing it to the post office. If there was a way to solve that, then I would return more things. But I guess that's, you know, impossible for software to solve yeah when there's a um, software where a guy comes to my house and wraps it up nicely and takes it to the yeah. post office because i'm with you yeah i'm like people ask me all the time they're like oh what do you think about returns and i just like look at the pile of you know things i bought online that i meant to return and just never did yeah and <laughs> but when i do i'm a big fan of this and i don't know if there's some if there's software out if it's return logic or if it relates to this anyway but i used to not do this and and um uh, my wife was always just like, why don't you just order a few of them and try on what fits and then return. Fitting room like, purchases. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> and I was so against that. But now whenever I buy sneakers from like a place that I maybe if it's like Nike or something or like Converse, I'm, I know what my size is. But if it's like a brand I haven't used before, I'll order like two or three pairs of pants of the same thing or like two, three pairs of sneakers. And I'll just return what doesn't fit or doesn't look good, um, which I'm sure has to be a big problem for brands. I'm sure that so many people are doing that. And I don't know, how do you limit something like that? It, I think that probably the biggest way that you can, you know, because it is, it's like a very popular thing. I even was shopping a few months ago and I saw this thing that was like, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Don't order a bunch of things in the same size <laughs> or a different size. And um I think that, you know, getting that 
kind of playing the long game, having a long strategy where, you know, you don't want someone to just buy from you once. You want someone Mm -hmm. to buy from you again and again. And maybe that means having to deal with that initial fitting room purchase and dealing with that return. But, you know, taking stock of why it's being returned, what was wrong with it, so that not only can you be more descriptive in your PDP or like maybe have better images because, you know, sometimes you get something and the color's off. So anything like that to, you know, when they come back, they won't have to do that again because they'll know how things fit. They'll have better guidance on the website. Um, It's kind of, you know, not looking at returns as something to be defensive about. But, Mm. you know, once again, just another touch point. I'd be interested in even creating some sort of some sort of automation for identifying someone who is doing that and not treating it as like a bad thing. Like, say, someone who ordered two of everything it's like, okay, there's two different sizes. Clearly there might be a way to be able to put them in a certain funnel or flow and then communicate with them in a way. Maybe it's like, you know, you could, even if it's not, I'm not saying to use it as a negative, but like use it as a positive. How can we use that information to be able to communicate with them a bit differently? Cause they're, you know, buying a bit differently than someone else. Um, so I think there's ways to be able to flip that, uh, which could be really interesting. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a while before they solve someone coming to your house and just, packaging up (laughs) your stuff for you. Um, But maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) Um, So when it comes to the data that we're collecting, and like, I know that we always want to collect data, find out who customers are, personalize the experience, both when it's on site or via email or SMS or something. Uh, But how can returns data inform strategies outside of returns policies? Because we we spoke about like, of course, providing a better uh, customer experience for returns or benefits to the merchant that would mean a long-term customer. But, you know, how can that information, how can that data help things outside of returns, maybe in other aspects of customer experience or somewhere else in their business? Yeah. So this ties into something I'm very passionate about coming from the agency world, which is CRO, you know, conversion rate optimization, one of my favorite topics. And I think that it all comes down to, you know, first party data, uh, you know, with all the changes in iOS and privacy and just acquisition costs skyrocketing, being able to take whatever data you have, it basically turns you into like, have you ever seen There Will Be Blood? Mm-hmm. You know, Daniel Plainfield, you're like, I'm a data man without <laughs> like the murder and stuff. But it's true because it's like, okay, we won't have access to, you know, things we might have had before. But what if we look at what we own, basically like our owned data, I guess, um, for a while it was like own channels was so important with Clavio and email. And now it's almost like, okay, what kind of own data do we have? And then how can we make that work for us? Um, returns is one such source of that, especially if you can collect primary and secondary returns data, um, which I think can be really helpful in, you know, CRO strategy, ad strategy, um, even, you know, building your brand. Um, of course, like, returns is not the only thing, but it can be a really important point there. Um, For example, once again, if, you know, you're seeing patterns in your returns and things like, you know, colors off, sizings off, um, you can make changes, you know, in the PDP, in your ad strategy, Mm -hmm. Um, just being able to use any 
first party data that you can have access to, um, whether it's, you know, returns, whether it's reviews, rather it's whatever. Uh, if you have access to those analytics, you should absolutely use them. And I think that returns is, you know, something that's maybe overlooked in this way, because, you know, it's kind of like returns is over here. No one wants to deal with it. But instead, it's like you kind of shift your perception of it and see, like, you know, do you know what we don't like is returns? How do we keep it from happening? You know, leverage our existing returns to figure out what we can fix. And also be aware that, you know, it's never going to go away completely. Yeah, I, I love that approach, especially about using that data to maybe change things on the PDP, for example. It's like, it, and it might not even be a variant, it might be in the description, or it might be like, hey, look, people are returning things because this color isn't as accurate. Maybe we need to take different photos of something, or maybe we need to take more detailed shots that will, of course, increase conversions, like you said, but also reduce the return. So it's not even about the customer experience of the return. It could be how can we use this information to improve the customer experience before they even make a purchase? Um, whether it's altering the policies or altering the PDP or things on the homepage or whatever it may be, um, you could grab a lot of data from there. And data is super important. We've been hyper-focused on, I hate using hyper-focused. I don't know, it's like a trendy <laughs> buzzword and I never use it. I, don't I know feel like I, I need to take a drink every time someone yeah. says, you know, <laughs> That might be the first time I've used it this Headless, year and I'm just yeah. like, oh God. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's why we've been very, very much uh, into conversion rate optimization this over the past year, especially working with Dynamic Yield. Um, we just started our a program called GrowthX, which is um, dedicated to only CRO, and it's a really unique program. Um, but what I like about Dynamic Yield is that you could actually, you know, because you have an API, there's there's likely ways that you could A/B test certain things with returns on your store because there's an API there. So, like a lot of people think about um, like conversion rate optimization as really like A/B and multivariate testing, and you're testing user experience. But there might be a lot of ways to re- test things that have to do with returns, whether it's policies or functionality or you know treating returns a little bit differently and segmenting them a bit and seeing what works and what doesn't Uh, so some really interesting things there and i never really even thought about like testing or like using returns to optimize for conversions but that's a a really really unique way of of looking at it i like that a lot thanks yeah i you know, I, it's like one, of like a very rare case of, you know, you have a hammer, everything's a nail. It's like a, a rare case of that, like actually working. <laughs> but um, one of the most interesting things that I think it could be used for is um, like optimizing pricing um, mm. in that, like, say, you know, say you pay like $90 for a shirt and it has a really high return rate and the reasons for it being returned are like, you know, it wasn't what I thought it was or like, you know no, no reason. And you could look at it as like, okay, we're selling this shirt for $90 and it has X amount return rate. And what if we, you know, lowered it to $70 and we lower the return rate. And even though we're selling the shirt for way less money, we're still making more of a profit because we're not getting that churn and the return shipping and restocking and things like that. So it's, it's almost like, you know, what, what problems are you having? And, you should, one of the first places you should be looking is, you know, returns and what's available as far as data there. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so return logic, is it, is it strictly for Shopify plus, or is it for other e-commerce platforms as well? Yeah. So we are in the process of becoming platform agnostic, which is of course, very exciting. Um, so right now we're only Shopify, but if someone who's not on Shopify wants to use us, we can, um, do like a custom thing because of our API. Awesome. I, I know we mentioned headless as a buzz term, buzzword before, but if someone is like on a headless infrastructure, I'm assuming that they could utilize the API to be able to use return logic, correct? Yeah. So we're um, in the process of opening up all of our endpoints and I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not a technical person, so that's about where my knowledge stops. But I know that, you know, we've been talking about, you know, how we can be not a solution, but the the best, most robust solution, almost like an operating system for returns. Very cool. And that's okay. I just do a good job at pretending I know about the technology <laughs> side, but we just can't tell anyone because yeah. I'm supposed to know everything. I think if you have like a certain affect about it, people will just accept it. They won't. Yeah. yeah. That's it. <laughs> you just got to deliver it right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. No, yeah. I, I kind of know a little bit, but uh, enough, enough. I know. Yeah, I know. That's exactly it. I know enough. <laughs> what is it? Plato was like, yeah, real knowledge is knowing that you know nothing. So... There we this go. This is true. This is true. Admit what you don't know. And honestly, like I'm, I did, when it comes to returns, like I don't, all I know is the customer side. Like I don't know the merchant side as much, even though like all of our merchants do returns and like, but our team executes on those. And it's usually there's, there's some sort of policy or something in place. We don't really influence that so much, but we do try to advise. I will say that there's, there's been like two things that um, some of our merchants really push back on when we advise. It's like, I we have one merchant I won't say who it is but they're pretty popular I went to buy something from their store and the amount of shipping the cost of shipping was outrageous and I was like I'm not even I didn't buy it I didn't even buy it because the shipping was so high and we've advised a lot of merchants like hey you got to reduce your shipping or if you just work it into the cost, mm -hmm. it, you'll probably increase conversions. And there's been hard stances on like, no, we need, we can't lose money on shipping. And then the same thing with returns, we've advised on like better return policies or using different tools. And there's always a little bit of like, it's like a, it's like a sensitive topic for some reason. <laughs> I don't know if they just don't want to pay attention to it or they're afraid they're going to lose money, but it's always, it's cause that's like the operation side, right? It's mm -hmm. kind of like the boring side, but um <laughs> We don't get to merchant experience. It as much. It's funny. Our yeah, um, our merchant, CEO, like yeah, our CEO says something that makes me like crack up every time I think about it. Especially because you know we we all do a lot of shopping online. Which is if the return policy is really difficult and there's a lot of friction, like nine times out of ten, it was written by the CFO. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. That usually does happen because they. Uh, it's like an operations thing. It's a money. It's a money thing. Yeah, when really um, did, it should be considered part of you know the brand. Yes. Yeah. Of course, it should be. Uh, I mean, when you're thinking about customer experience and um, uh, branding in general, uh, you have to look at everything. Like an omni-channel experience means providing a great experience across all different channels, and that mm -hmm. part of that is returns too. Um, speaking of merchant experience, I've never heard that term. Is that something that you 
coined or someone else I coined because I've never I, heard yeah, of it. Yeah, it's something that I actually was on a conversation with an agency and they were like, oh, so, you know, like the the way the merchant experiences it as opposed to the way the customer experiences it. And I was like, yes, I'm going to start using the term merchant experience instead of operations because <laughs> it sounds more engaging because, you know, if you think about it, like it does. The, on the merchant side, there's there's so much. Even if you're using like a 3PL, that's still part of your process. And even if you don't have your own warehouse team, there's still all that functionality that happens. And it's not just, you know, the box magically appears at your at your residence when you order something yeah. online. There's a whole team of people that have to make it happen. And there needs to be harmony between, you know, what the customer is experiencing and you know what the the merchant's experiencing it's kind of like the the dow you need to have yeah. both um you know both sides in order to have a, a positive experience because you know you can have something that's completely customer focused but it may not help you scale so Mm -hmm. um it's just you know on that merchant side it's sort of like you know merchants should all be thinking about you know processes and customizations that they can be putting in place to not only make their i guess streamline operations is a super boring way to put it but you know <laughs> streamline operations to make sure that the customer is having a good experience as well yeah and, they're, and that they're focusing on their, their brand because the less time you're focusing on your brand and more time on, you know, those processes, systems, operations, super important. But, you know, they want to focus on growing their brand and, you know, automating some other things or not having to worry about certain technologies and things like that. Um, but merchant experience, I love that term. Um, I'm going to use it with some of our clients during sales calls. I think it's great, especially since... For agencies, like we're serving, we're you know we're always talking about customer experience, but we're we're um, serving our cust our clients, right? Same thing with SaaS products, right? Your your key demographic are merchants. Um, so talking about merchant experience and improving whether it's a back end CMS or a tool that they're using, making their jobs easier, um, they're going to see value in that, and that's going to trickle down, like you said, to the customers because they can provide a better customer experience. They can focus more on their brand, um, and it has like that that kind of trickle down effect. But I'm definitely going to steal that term. If I use it publicly, I'll give you credit. <laughs> yeah, but, trademark. Um, privately, <laughs> you won't. What you won't know won't hurt you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. Great. Well, I, I mean, I think we covered a lot today. Um, you know, did you, did, did you have anything that you wanted to touch on that we didn't? Um, I mean, I guess there's just sort of like a, a general advice for merchants who are listening. Um, and I'm actually gonna, I guess, like put myself on blast here and everyone right. else who works in SaaS sales, which is like, I know with like the appification of e-commerce and, you know, the, just, you know, it's my, it's my job to get people on my platform. But I think that a lot of merchants don't really think about, you know, implementing new tech in the context of their brand story. I think that, you know, in order to be successful now that like, you know, once again, the acquisition costs are so high and there's so much competition. If you if you're gonna implement new tech, you know, like return logic, you need to think of it in the context of the overall story that you're trying to tell and the strategy that comes from that story. And um, it's probably one of the most important things when, you know, 
doing something new is, you know, keeping the customer journey in mind and how it intertwines with brand story. And if those two are in conflict, then there's not like, it's not going to work. Yeah, for sure. Just overall, you know, focus on what works for your brand, your business, and just be authentic about everything that you do. Even when you're choosing technology, make sure it's it's right for your business and that it's going to improve customer experience. Yeah. And merchant experience. And merchant experience. I can't forget <laughs> about that. Like I have to shift my shift my thinking into merchant. Now yeah. I'm just that's going to be the new buzzword. Yeah, you said you're going to start it. using it. You can't even come I on. I am. I have to. I have to. Well, at least I'll be one of the first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, EM, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. 